0: Christ presents Bless the World. The reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, June eleventh, two 2023. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So Abram went. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collection station, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Please pray with me. Beloved God, open our hearts to your mystery, our minds to your way for us, and our spirit to the blessing of your presence. Amen. It seems like this question comes up a lot for a lot of people, especially right now. How do I know which way to go in life? How do I know which path is the right one? 27 years ago, my mother-in-law became a widow when she was not yet 70. I remember how tired she looked and how much she had aged in those last few years of my father-in-law's life as they faced his cancer diagnosis and all of the treatments together. I remember how two years later, she seemed 10 years younger. She was well rested and energetic and engaged in the life around her. She confided in me that she had found a mentor in how to live well as a widowed older woman. Well, she actually said, as a little old lady with a gleeful cackle. She was embracing that part of her life. Her, her mentor, her friend Billy, was a friend from church who was 10 years older also widowed, energetic, always elegant, but with a delightful twinkle in her eye. She was kind, but she was nobody's fool. She was full of fun. I just follow her example, Gloria told me. Whatever it is, if Billy can do it, I can do it. A few years later, when Gloria, my mother-in-law, started to acknowledge that she was having just a little trouble with her memory, Just, you know, names. Well, okay, dates now and then I can't keep straight. I can't always remember them. But she said breezily, that's all right. Billy will remind me. And she did. She checked in on Gloria by phone every day and reminded her which was the day for book club and which the day for choir rehearsal. And on those days, Gloria, whose vision and driving skills were still fine, would go and pick up Billy whose vision had diminished. And together, mentor and mentee made their way through years of life together, following each other and figuring it out along the way. This to me is one of the most beautiful things about living in community, the mentors we have here, people who help us find our way through life. There is always someone who has gone before us in every season or stage of life. Graduations and job searching, parenting or deciding not to, empty nesting, illness and all the stages of treatment, major moves, divorce and remarriage, retiring, sobriety and recovery, surviving loss, all the things that challenge our human lives and offer us opportunities. We have people who have gone before us. And we have people who are willing to share their experience of that part of life with us as we enter our own journey of life. People whose path we may follow or at least whose experience can echo ours as we forge our own path. This is one of the reasons it was so important to me to raise my two sons in a church community so that they would see people living through all the different stages of life and not just see them from afar, but know them up close, care about them, and know that they were cared for in return. People living their lives following the way of God as best as they could, and willing to share their lives with my sons and encourage them along their way. I wonder a lot about young people who don't have multi-generational community to draw from and I wonder how they live their lives. What that, what that loss might be for them that they don't even know that they're experiencing. Today's readings offer us two call stories, stories of people making huge turns in the path that they had been on to a new kind of living. Each one was sure that they were hearing the voice of the holy calling them out of one place or one occupation into something new. In our first reading, we drop down into Genesis in chapter 12, where the saga of Abraham and Sarah begins. This is the story that sets in motion the history of the Jewish people. These are the ancestors of our faith. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis cover the so-called primeval history. It's a collection of ancient accounts and fables gathered across different eras and authors. There are two stories, two different, quite different stories of creation, the story of the flood and the people who survived it, and the story of the Tower of Babel and the scattering of humanity across the earth. With that primeval history as background, the narrative shifts to Abraham and Sarah and the covenant that formed the people of God. Out of all the people on the earth, Abram and Sarah's people were called to be the people of God. The cycle begins, as we heard Ethelin read for us, with Abram living peacefully in his father's household in the city of Haran. When, out of the blue, he hears God speak to him. Now, I have a lot of questions about that. As someone who doesn't hear an audible voice of God very often in my life, how exactly did Abram hear God What does that mean? Maybe it's enough to picture it as godly play, the children's curriculum does. They write, one night, God brought Abram outside. He looked up into the sky. And God came so close to Abram. And Abram came so close to God that Abram knew what God was saying. However it happened, the story that got passed down was that God spoke to Abram with a command and a promise. A command to move to a new place, to leave behind his father's household, the land that he owned, the land that he was, would inherit from his father, to leave all of his kin, to leave everything that determined his identity and gave his life security. To leave all that behind and travel to a land whose name he did not know, a land he had never seen, and perhaps didn't even know existed. He received a command, do this. And he also received a promise. As New Testament scholar Matt Skinner put it recently, God doesn't appear to Abram and say, hey, I'm God, worship me. He doesn't appear and say, hey, I'm God, clean up your life. Instead, God says essentially, Hey, I'm God. I want to give you a lot of stuff. What comes out first is not accusation. It's not divine jealousy. It's not even divine glory and a command to worship. It's just, go where I send you. I'm about to bless you. I love the way Will Gaffney, the biblical scholar I often quote, translates these verses. She put it this way. Now, the Holy One said to Abram, Get you gone from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Now, be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And they shall be blessed in you, all the families of the earth." So, Abram went, as the Holy One had told him. Abram hears and goes. Now, let's just pause there for a second. This is incredibly dangerous. In our day and age, there are some places in the earth that would be dangerous for us to just up and go into. But not a lot. There are many, many places we could go in complete and utter safety and move our whole household there. But Abram could get killed just transversing some of this land. These people that the text talks about, that Ethelin read when he took his whole household with him, some of those people were probably armed. He may have had even a small uh, safety contingent or army around him. He's gotta take somebody with him. This is dangerous territory. Given the sociology of the time that is imagined here, it's not a thing that one would do lightly. Descendants, land and legacy are all promised and in that promise is responsibility. You will be blessed, but you won't just be blessed for your own sake because I like you. God is inviting Abram into a relationship and born out of that will be blessing for Abram and his household and for every family on the earth. You are blessed to be a blessing. God is relying on Abram and Sarah and their people to spread God's blessing to all the people. All those people who in those first primeval stories had turned away from God, had endured the flood, and then been scattered across the globe. Those people are meant to be blessed by the blessing that God is giving Abram. Now, we'll see as we follow along in these stories over the next few weeks of the summer, the lectionary is going to take us deep into Genesis, we'll see that Abram and Sarai and their people do a pretty poor job of allowing God to bless other people through them. But God continues with them. He keeps calling them. This ancient story invites us to ask how and in what way are we as people who has receive, who have received the blessing of God's pre, pre, bleh, the blessing of God's presence how are we called to be a blessing to the world the blessings we receive are not just for us they are because God loves us and also we are part of a larger relationship that we are called into to bless others How are we called to do this as individuals, and how are we called to do it as a community? How can we who have received the blessing of belonging spread that message, not just by flinging our doors wide and putting out a beautiful welcome mat, how can we make that message known by stepping outside our doors into a city and a country busy ripping itself apart with anger, suspicion, hatred, and exclusion? How are we called to bless? How can we stand as a light, not hidden in our own building or in our own circle, but shining brightly against the angry voices of racism and white supremacy, against anti-semitism and homophobia, vo- against voices that are not just taunting, but working hard to change laws and do real harm? It isn't just rhetoric. Harm is happening. How are we called to speak into that and be a blessing? Can we allow ourselves to grow so close to God and allow God to come so close to us that we know what God is saying so that we can hear and know where God is sending us? Our second meeting of the day is another call and sending story. It's the story of the call of Matthew, the tax collector. Now, just a quick reminder, Matthew was a tax collector collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, but he was not a Roman. This, it was worse than that. This is a local Jewish boy who grew up and was willing to collude with the empire, to collect its taxes and skim a nice portion off the top for himself. Willing to be part of an oppressive system I can imagine his internal dialogue, the defenses he put up for himself. Somebody's going to do it. I can't fight all of Rome by myself. I can't fix this whole system. I might as well work within it. Maybe I can get inside it and shift it. Tax collectors were not beloved by their neighbors. This particular tax collector was sitting behind his booth when Jesus rolled up and said, follow me. Like Abram, Matthew heard, and immediately, he got up from behind that booth and followed Jesus. Now, read in that stark way, it sounds almost like Jesus had some kind of magnetism that caused people to lose their will and have no choice but to obey. Jesus rolled up and said it, couldn't be, could not, be disobeyed. And the New Testament does give us a picture of Jesus as a charismatic person, but I don't think we have to imagine that Matthew clapped eyes on Jesus for the first time in his life, dropped over, threw away his life of oppressing his neighbors, and followed immediately. I imagine that from his perch there at the tax booth, the kind of place where people who were transporting their farm goods and their fishing uh, collection had to stop and pay before they could move down the road. I imagine that from that vantage point, Matthew has watched Jesus as he went about teaching and healing. I think he's heard what Jesus has to say. He's heard enough that when Jesus called him by name, he gets up and he goes. The very next thing Matthew does, and it's about the only thing we hear about Matthew in the, the rest of the book, is he throws a dinner party for Jesus and for all of his tax collector and sinner friends. Showing up there earns Jesus the scorn of the pious people. Why on earth is your teacher eating with those kinds of people? You honor him as a teacher of holy things. You honor him as someone who's concerned with encountering God, with knowing God. And here he is eating with those losers, those unrepentant sinners. This is such an offensive thing about Jesus, and we miss it because we're used to the story and we glide right over the tax collectors and the sinners. But if Jesus were to come in our day and have dinner with the people that we know are oppressing others in our neighborhood, if he sat down to dinner with those people, I think we'd be offended. Jesus hasn't come to call the righteous, he's come to call the sinners. And after a while, that gets annoying. In any system where folks are connected, that folks are connected to for stability, for finding the right way, anywhere where we've been following the rules and trying to do the right thing, To watch somebody sit down with those people? That's offensive. That's hurtful. It seems to those Pharisees and those pious people that Jesus is dragging the holiness of God right through the mud. And I can imagine some people in our world that if I saw Jesus having dinner with those people, I'd be shook right down to my toes, and I'd be mad. (laughs) But Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick have need. The oppressors need to be with me, and I need to be with them. He quotes Hosea and says, I desire mercy, not rituals. Go and learn what that means. The invitation of these two texts, which are both beautiful and also a little bit hard, is to look around where we are in our own individual lives and in our life as a community, and ask, where do I see myself in this text? Am I one of the oppressors who needs Christ's mercy? Or am I one of the righteous religious people following all the rules who needs Christ's mercy, who needs to be taught how to extend mercy, not just hold it, for the people I already love and accept, but to all the people. Where are the barriers we need to step out from behind in order to be a blessing? Are we listening for the voice of Jesus saying our names individually and as a community and calling us forward into a new path? We have each other as gracious life examples, and we have these texts inviting us to listen for God's call. Just like people in every age and place, our historical moment now has its particular challenges. Right now, we have the confluence of COVID and technological capabilities, which make remote work and remote worship regular and routine for many people, which means that we are here and we are sometimes there, and sometimes not. We're living in a cultural moment when people who may be spiritually hungry and even interested in Jesus and what he taught are not interested in the structure of the church. It's not Jesus that is uninteresting. It's just church. The institution which has been such a positive, healthy, and life-giving thing for those of us who gather here week after week. It is but such a beautiful gift that it's hard and hurtful to hear that for other people, it's a barrier to hearing the words of Jesus. This is painful and confusing, but what else might it hold for us to know that and to acknowledge it? What invitation might there be for us as a community, as a church, I don't mean we need to stop being church, but what else can we be in the world? What invitation to new paths might be in this recognition? Where might God be calling us? Living as we are in a time when our community is gathered, but not necessarily physically, a time when autocracy is on the rise, we might begin to wonder, how do we follow Jesus now? How do we do it? It feels really confusing. The good news is that God is still speaking and God has not stopped calling God's people. We know that we have been blessed and we know that the world needs blessing. That is a perfect place from which to begin. God has given us the gift of imagination and God has given us generosity of spirit to experiment with new things when we imagine them. And we can try new things without fear of failure. Because success is not the bar. Love is the measure. And we have the promise that the risen Christ is with us to the end of this age and to the end of every age. When church as an institution flourishes and when church as an institution seems quiet and like a barrier, Christ is with us. And from this place, we can Bless the world. Amen.